You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Faith and Other Oddities. Um, we're back in the studio. We're recording on uh, on Black Friday today. Yay! So, yeah, <laughs> better than the alternative. Yeah, yeah. We uh, I think we did this a couple weeks weeks couple weeks ago, a couple years ago. <laughs> Same difference in our timeline. <laughs> we uh, yeah, so we're 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 basically like children. If it's yesterday, it could be yesterday or within the last decade. Yeah, the other day is any time within <laughs> the last week uh, or pr- prior. Yeah, and. But hey, you know, we aren't shopping today, and that's mm-hmm. all that counts. So we'll spare our listeners the rant that we went on last time. That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Check out check out our first episode after Thanksgiving. I think, uh, yeah, so we we, uh, we happened to be recording on a Black Friday a few years back, and that was kind of, we kind of went on a, a rant about yeah, just, retail and not, yeah. not beating each other up over, you know, 50% yeah. off toasters or whatever you need. It's not good. It's just not good. We got more important things to do with our time. Yeah. And no one needs a toaster for Christmas. Right? <laughs> if someone needs a toaster, just buy them a toaster. My philosophy is if it plugs in, it's not a gift. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just my general rule. I mean, that's an appliance, and appliances should not be gifts unless it's specifically, specifically asked for. Specifically requested, yeah. Yeah. And then otherwise, you need to, you know, something's personal with some thought in it. And so anyway shoes shoes <laughs> books i i like books definitely like books but that's not why everyone's here i wear a size seven and a half you know, no, okay never mind <laughs> um you anyway. have not because you ask not read that somewhere <laughs> <laughs> well let's not get into that let's let's stick with context um speaking of so we, we're in the Bible. We're in the Bible. Back to the Bible. That's why everyone's here. <laughs> exactly. First Samuel 28. Uh, we started last week to kind of talk about some issues with translations with this, this passage, because we're talking about that witch of Endor, or was she a witch? Was she a necromancer, a medium? What modern English term best describes what she did? Right. And your guess is as good as mine. I... I because really, in some ways, she does embody several different aspects, or at least some aspect mm-hmm. of the several mm-hmm. things that we discussed. And so trying to figure out which thing applied best to her, I don't know if there's one that just fits perfectly. You know, I, I think it's um, I think it's kind of God's sense of humor, and uh, she does whatever advances the plot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> There is that. Uh, and she does a lot of advancing because as I was studying for, um, you know, upcoming episodes where we're moving further into Samuel, this event actually becomes very pivotal. And I was surprised because we're almost taught to treat it like a throwaway event. Right. It, like, it, in a moment of weakness, Saul <laughs> happened to visit a witch. Yeah. Is, is kind of how we get that seems to be. Kind of, and you're supposed to blink a couple of times and then move on. Right. And it, it, this is actually 
setting us up for what's going to happen with David. Yeah, and I imagine you, I'm probably getting ahead of you on your notes, but I do think it's <laughs> funny how much detail there is in this story. And um, where it talks about how he hadn't eaten all day, and then this woman insists that she take care mm -hmm. of him. I find, uh, and I'm sure you're probably getting there later. <laughs> we I'm, will get there eventually, but <laughs> but I think I never even realized that was part of the story until recently, until no. we were going over this. I'm like, wow, there's still a whole lot more here than what we get told in Sunday school. It's like he, ha you know, it's like it is like he just happened to have a moment of weakness, was scurrying by, and thought, oh well, uh, I guess I'll just drop in here, and it. It's not like that at all. No, it, it really isn't. And when you realize that there is a purpose behind the story besides just, you know, a little um, you know, subplot developing, that mm -hmm. it is, you know, kind of integral to the main theme, then it takes on a whole different level. And then when you, you start to see not only this integral to the theme of First Samuel, this is just part and parcel of living in this world. Mm -hmm. the, and that's... That's part of what you brought up there, where she takes care of him afterwards. It, it really demonstrates how this is just part of that culture. Mm -hmm. And so there's not a lot of explanation, which causes our problems with the translations. And so I had proposed that we considered um, Hoffner's explanation of how to translate the word ob, which in um, your Bible is going to be translated, or most people's Bible, is going to be translated as medium. Okay. And... Hoffner had made some comparisons with various languages that were being spoken and used around that same time period and shortly before, and he said that it was referring to the ceremonial pits that were dug, and in these ceremonial pits, in case you don't remember from last week, they were dug with ceremonial tools, they were filled with food, they might have blood poured into them, they were mentioned in the Odyssey when mm -hmm. Homer wrote about that, um, and he was talking about how these were kind of just, they were known. They were, they were used quite, quite frequently in the various cultures. And like I said, not just one culture, multiple cultures. Sure. So anyway, we also, I think we ended off last week with talking about Samura. And Samura, uh, he addresses the fact that we've got this, this language where Saul asked for a woman who is the lady. And we got two words there, and usually in the English, it, one of those just gets dropped out. He's looking for a woman. He doesn't say woman who is lady or woman lady. I, either, there's just no combination that works there in he, the he, English. And he's not asking for a proper woman who, right. like, <laughs> who, who dresses, you know, in her Victorian uh, exactly. get up and <laughs> yeah, I've been minds her manners, no elbows on the table. May have been watching too many British movies lately because I'm like seeing exactly everything you've described. <laughs> but yeah, so the Hebrew, you know, when you normally don't have that when you're referring to one person, you have woman or lady. It, it's not both. So Zamora actually proposes the the translation that it's the woman of the lady of the spirits. Mm -hmm. Now I think a woman of the lady of Ob or the pit or the pit of spirits mm -hmm. works well. And the reason why I say it works well is because we know that within uh, Hebrew culture, one of the things that was very common was you would take these phrases and you would make them smaller. Mm -hmm. You would use the shortest number of words, the fewest number of words to say what you were trying to communicate. This is the reason why so much of the information we have in the Bible fits in the Bible. <laughs> and right. so, and now, Zamora, he takes a little bit further into the process here than even Hoffner did. And I don't, like I said, I don't think it's mutual exclusive. I think um, Zamora just 
wasn't either aware. He maybe he didn't agree. He never mentions Hoffner's work, so I don't know his exact position on it. Sure. But Zamora connects us back to the Mesopotamian myths of Shamash and Shapshu. And these are two of the triad of the sun, moon, and earth. And so uh, one of those would be Ishtar. And we know her from the Epic of Gilgamesh. And Hoffner did mention her because she was the goddess who said she was going to smash the gates of the netherworld and bring Mm. more dead to the face of the earth than were people alive. And... So Zamora, he, he talks about Shapshu, and, who was a sun goddess, and her job was to bring the dead up from the earth, that she would do it at night. Yeah. And so this is the reason why we have this, this detail of Saul goes at night, because now that the sun goddess isn't in the sky lighting up the world, on her off time, she can <laughs> take yeah. some time to, you know, let's escort some people out of the netherworld. Yeah, it's, a, it's hobby time. It's a... <laughs> exactly. And so... Um, you know, if the pits were being used to bring up the dead and they were guarded by women, uh, it, it would be very normal because women were often connected with goddess worship. Right. Uh, right. You know, goddess worship often included that uh, aspect of fertility. And yeah. so we'd find a lot of fertility little statues, even when the Israelite women. And so the idea that there would be a woman directly working for doing the bidding of a goddess wouldn't really be out of character uh, or uh, outside the norm, normal practices of the time. Right. So I, I kind of lead towards Hoffner exp- explanation uh, because it fits with everything Zamora says. It doesn't contradict anything Zamora says. It it fits historically. It fits culturally. And kind of builds on where where Zamora left off. Yeah, and and that's it. And that's the thing. I mean, a lot of times when people approach uh, biblical passages, they can offer varying explanations. And a lot of times they won't have a full explanation because they haven't studied different aspects Mm -hmm. of the cultures Mm -hmm. or or history. I don't think we're going to find one scholar there's not one scholar who knows everything. Are you sure? I'm, I'm trying to become that person. I think it's going to require a few more decades than I have on my timestamp. No, 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 you know? I definitely understand that. And that's, and that's the actual, I mean, it's kind of frustrating too, because you're talking about how sometimes when they approach the different verses in the different ways, a lot of times when you get into discussions with people about the, how to interpret different passages, if you don't bring up their favorite scholar, they're they assume that, well, you haven't studied this passage. And right. like, guys, there's a hundred <laughs> different ways to look at a lot of this stuff. Now, there's, there's some definitely some wrong ways. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that you can just interpret Bible any particular right. way. But that's, that's one of the common, uh, I want to say arguments, one of the fallacies, I guess, that I don't know. What, what would you call that fallacy? It's not because it, it is. It's like narrow minded. Well, um. yeah, well, it is it's like if you don't cite that person's favorite scholar or if you haven't read that person's favorite scholar, then they just assume that you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, there is this thing where when you study, you get familiar with certain names that mm-hmm. you do rely on. But if you think, you know, everybody who's doing all the work out there, then I got news for you. You don't. I right. don't. Right. Um. One of the things that I try to do when I'm researching, and this is just how I handle it, is I look to see where have they studied? Where have they worked? Mm-hmm. Is there, uh, who are they citing as their sources? Um, 
I know I mentioned Josh, I think in the last episode, but he and I were talking again on the Facebook. And one of the things we were talking about were bibliographies. And I actually have some books that I have bought just because I want the resources listed. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that I really care about the book themselves. I didn't think the book, a few of my books I have, I wouldn't recommend. Imagine that. But they had great bibliographies. Right. And so they're drawing on good sources. So these are the things that you're looking for is, are they drawing from lots of different disciplines? Are they looking at people with different backgrounds? Mm -hmm. Or are they saying, this is what my church teaches. This is what my faith tradition teaches. This is what my favorite teacher teaches. And they, you know, if they're just looking at those things mm -hmm. and they aren't branching out, then they are not willing to be taught and they're not willing to learn. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't mean to open that up, but I mean, I'm, I, I know I, I definitely see your point. And, it, and me personally, I, I try whenever I research anything, I try to find something from sources I typically agree with. And I try to find more from sources I typically disagree with. Yeah. Because I mean, if, if nothing else, it's a good mental exercise to try to poke holes in arguments, but it's an excellent mental exercise. And we should, shouldn't just argue with the sources we disagree with. I mean, if you find one of my books I have that I disagree with that person or what they've written, you're going to find notes in the margins. You're going to mm -hmm. find underlying stuff. You're going to have me citing different um, sources. I, I love doing that. But I also like um, listening to sources or you're reading books that I do agree with and arguing from the opposite position. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a really good thing to do. And, and I'm trying to understand why do you accept this position? Why do you ascribe to it? Was it really proven to you? Did you really examine it? Or did it just sound good and you could just go with the flow? Right. And so, not that I want to, you know, didn't mean to go off on those, but. No, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I, I think people need to hear more of that because it just seems like getting more and more prevalent, just the, the, the bad arguments and, and not addressing your own scholars. <laughs> Yeah. Or calling people names and discounting them because they're a heretic or they're blasphemous or, you know, if someone's wrong and you really want to approach them from a Christian position, you should be dealing with them in kindness, mm -hmm. dealing with them in love, asking them questions, trying to operate with some empathy, mm -hmm. but just to shut someone down or shut them out because you disagree with them. And, and I mean, there are times to make boundaries. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But just to immediately do it out of hand, then that's arrogance and hubris, and you need to really reconsider your position. So, so moving um, on. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, oh, but anyway, Hoffner, I, I am agreeing with him. Uh, I'm leaning towards him uh, because not only does it fit all of those, you know, the, the cultural and the historical, but it also makes sense of this verse, Isaiah 24, 9. Uh, listen to this. And you will be brought low from the earth you will speak. From the dust, your speech will be bowed down. Your voice will come from the ground like the voice of a ghost. And from the dust, your speech shall whisper. So that, that word there for ghost is ob, okay. uh, that same word. And it could, it could actually be translated as pit and still work. Your voice will come from the ground like the voice of one from the, of, uh, from the pit, like the voice from a pit. So, or the voice of a pit, it, it still, it still works within the context of the Hebrew. And, and, and now who is it that's uh, speaking there and who's being addressed? 
Now, I don't remember. Well, you'll have to look at the... <laughs> Sorry, so 24 what? 24, 29.4. 29.4. I got 29.4, 24.9 in my head. Um, I'll, I'll come back. Go ahead with yeah, what we... you got, and I'll, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm going to look and see who we've got. Yeah. I, 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 that's always a good question. We talk about context. So um, the servants tell Saul that there is a woman who fits this description and that she lives in Endor. So if we want to talk about indoor and where that was, this actually answers a question that you asked on last week's show. Did Saul have to go behind enemy lines? And it's a great question because it's still being asked. No one's That's actually yeah, no one's actually answering it, but there's there's great arguments from both perspectives. And so the first mention of indoor, which kind of gives us some idea of location, is Joshua seventeen eleven, and it says it's a tribal allotment to the the tribe of Manasseh. However, it's not conquered at this time, so the exact location, like I said, it's still in debate, but we know it's probably somewhere in the Jezreel Valley. If it's on the northern part of the Jezreel Valley, then this is why Saul had to go into disguise. Okay. He's yeah. talking to Jerusalem there. Oh, okay. So, so he would um, he would have to slip behind enemy lines behind the Philistines to be able to get to her to begin with. So that's that's one ex- explanation for disguise. Yeah, that's that's one explanation. Not just that the king didn't want to be seen, but he actually had to get past the enemy. So maybe, possibly, it, it's it's conceivable. Another claim is that it's on the southern part of the Jezreel Valley. Okay. So this would explain why the woman was afraid of being identified. Yeah. Because it's, it would still be under Saul's authority, and he had run all the necromancers and mediums out of the land. Mm-hmm. So if Saul catches her, he could have her killed. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would make sense if, if she is in Israelite territory, if Saul's banned all this, that he shows up or someone, you know, is on the lookout going, hey, here comes the king, hide the stuff. <laughs> right. <You know>? Like, <laughs> unrelated story. <laughs> Not really, but kind of related. We filing this under other oddities. Other oddities. I just remember I had, okay, so I, I live here in Norman and I used to hang out with some friends over at uh, Walker Tower. And they would do, when they do fire drills, it was not uncommon for RAs to walk through the dorms and just check for anything that might be left out. Gotcha. And I remember one time I was there and there was a fire drill and one of my friends running down the hall going, ah, fire drill, hide the beer. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I thought of when thinking of someone on lookout and like, you know, you got all your scrying stuff out here to see the dead and covered up. So just running down the hall with his hands flailing. Just shows you that human nature is the same. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we try, we try to make the Bible stories, you know, everyone's so different than we are. And they, I mean, yeah, it's a different culture, different time. And the humanity is still there. And we have to keep that in mind because I do think it would have been like, if King if King Saul had showed up with all of his entourage and everyone, you guarantee it's going to be a big deal in the town, right? and she's going to find out, and she's going to hide her stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, because she basically, if she had gone public and was discovered, it was a death warrant, mm-hmm. and and so, 
Okay, that was actually the argument that people use against it being in the southern part. Because why would she stay? If he'd driven everybody out, why would she still be in this location? Because things are more lucrative where they're illegal. <laughs> well, there's that. I hadn't even considered that. You're right, though. Uh, <laughs> absolutely right. But this actually leads in and, and lets even more credibility to Hoffner's position because an ob, one of these spiritual pits, had to be built in a specific location. And these locations would be passed down from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. And so we, we know from the Bible that certain geographic locations do lend themselves to having more spiritual activity or opening a person up sure. to a spiritual influence. Sure. Um, remember Bethel with Jacob's Ladder, because I know there's going to be somebody who goes, wait a minute, you know, Bethel with Jacob's Ladder, mm -hmm. the top of Mount Sinai, uh, Hermon, uh, Caesarea mm -hmm. Philippi, mm -hmm. Balaam, whenever he got ready to prophesy, he went and found the right mountaintop to be able to tune in to the spiritual world, for lack of a better term. So if she had inherited this place, and she would have been entrusted with it and expected to guard it, not just to guard it so that other people couldn't use it, but also to guard it so that the wrong spirits couldn't come through. Mm -hmm. And so she's not going to leave this place. And also, like you said, it's lucrative business. You would get paid for this. Yeah, higher risk, higher reward. <laughs> exactly. And so you, by the time you factor all of this in, I really think that Hofner provides an excellent argument for this being a pit. And we're going to even see more um, as we go forward. So we're in verse 8. The, the opening says, So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments, and he went, he and the two men with him. Clothes are always important in the book of Samuel. Always, always, always. When a king removes his kingly garb, he's basically putting off the kingship itself. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this when Saul had uh, tried to give his armor to David when Jonathan gave his clothing to David. So in the book of Samuel, clothes play a significant role because they tell us the attitude that someone has towards their position in life and how they're going about meeting it. Um, the book of Chronicles sees this as this event as the final straw. Actually, this the only reason why Saul lost his kingship. It's the only reason the Chronicles cites. Hmm. Yeah. Because um, it seems like there's a lot more when you read these. Yeah. I, well, that's the thing. I mean, when you look at, at the book of Samuel, I mean, you've got all of Saul's you know, mishaps with, with the Amalekites. You've got Saul's mishaps with Jonathan, uh, the sacrifice that he gave when he shouldn't have. But whenever, like I said, when you get to Chronicles, now it's just going to go back to this incident with this woman at Endor. And I think one of the reasons is because it's seen, it's him very willingly putting off his kingship. He takes off the clothes. He makes the journey. He does something so completely forbidden by the Torah. Right. And in direct rebellion. But if, you're, but if you've been following the whole narrative, you can trace this right back to his rebellion at the, with the sheep and the, you know. Which yeah. people did he take out there? The Amalekites. The Amalekites, yes. Yeah. I was like, when he went and killed, there was the <laughs> king and the, People and the sheep and the bleeding and the Samuel and the all that <laughs> everything else but that name. Could, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but well, and the thing is, he he tried to to explain that, and, and it seems like on some levels his explanations 
they actually kind of work. Because if you read the rabbinic commentary about Saul's reign, they're always attempting to soften it. They're trying to make him look better. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't that bad what he did. So it seems like there's some element within the society that said it's okay. This is the one incident that they cannot justify. Because there, there is enough, yeah. absolutely no justification for it. And I, I think it's very interesting that, that it provides such a large uh, clue as to how we should look at dealing with the spiritual realm, that word. Uh, so the verse continues again, verse 8, And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring, bring up for me whomever I shall name for you. So, like I said, night, that's when the sun goddess is off duty. She's got some spare time. She's going to be, you know, escorting spirits to the top side. Uh, and, of course, I'm thinking of, like, an Uber driver. Yeah. Like, being a sun goddess doesn't pay what it used yeah. to. Gotta, gotta supplement. Well, I, 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 yeah, I actually... <laughs> So this word here, I'm just going to move past. Uh, this word here, divine, this is the same word that's used for Balaam and other false prophets, uh, male pro false prophets, by the way, just so you get that connection that this is not just supposed to be a story trashing women, but it's also the word used directly in the prohibition against divination, uh, Deuteronomy 18.10, 2 Kings 17.17. 17. Um, yeah. So divine, uh, to, to bring, it, bring it up, this is not something that Saul can go, oops, I didn't know. I right, mean, and right. we also can say he, he knew because he had also driven everybody out. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. uh, once again, you, you see why this is something that could not be excused or justified in any way uh, by the rabbinic uh, debaters. The rabbis? <laughs> the rabbis, yeah. I, I, I was just... I got that image of them sitting around trying to, to sort through all the pieces and arguing all the points. And I, yeah, sometimes my, my thinking is too visual. By a spirit. He wants her to divine by a spirit. It, it's, when someone does this, um, typically the idea is that they have a spirit that has attached to them. And this spirit that's attached to them or form this relationship with them is a spirit that they can very easily communicate. Uh, with and it's a, a one that can communicate communicates to them very easily, and it's this spirit that will go into the under realm and kind of fish out and find the right spirit that their person is looking for. Yeah, so, which would also tie to that idea that it, it might be Ishtar or divine, divine for me by a spirit or exactly whichever deity you serve to do that. Yes, it's not that this woman herself could go into the underworld and, and retrieve someone, but she could kind of use this this spirit guide or spirit intercessor. Yeah, to to go and and be a retriever. You know, <laughs> this is the one I need, and this is the reason why that Cerberus. <laughs> there you go. Fetch. Um. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm like you were like all over the place. I'm like everywhere today. It's the ham. It's the ham. It's turned you into one. <laughs> yeah, you are what you eat. Um, I don't know. That was a dad joke. It really was. I'm sorry. Um, I apologize. We, we both did it. <laughs> so anyway, you at least have an excuse. But this is why uh, we have this familiar spirit language. That the word in Hebrew for necromancer is one who knows the spirits, mm -hmm. or and so or one who knows with the implication. The spirits. So the word spirit is actually kind of dropped off there. So back to that, where we were talking about using the most truncated form of the sure. Hebrew. So um, 
Saul indicates that he doesn't want to just speak to any spirit. And a lot of times when you would go to these people, it seems like they just wanted some news from the spirit world. They weren't necessarily looking for a particular person or a spiritual entity. They were just trying to make contact because mm-hmm. everybody who's spiritual is smarter than us uh, is kind of the idea or they know something that we don't know. And so he, he's making a very specific request. And so this also tells us that this woman was probably well-known and well for being skilled in this to be able to contact a specific person. So this isn't just, like I said last week, I'm getting the feeling of someone with a J in your mm-hmm. life. You know, this is a very, um, very focused uh, attempt that she's supposed to make. So verse nine, the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and necromancers for, from the land. Why then are you laying this trap for my life to bring, me, bring about my death? So. She's indicating she, she's living in a place where Saul has the authority to kill her. So mm-hmm. back to that Southern argument. She's using a different wording than Saul and his men in verse 7. Um, she says that he has cut off Ha'ob, not, not the one who served the lady, but one who has the pit. He, he's cut off the pits, specifically the pit themselves, okay. not the person servicing the pit. You know it's illegal for me to own such technology. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And well, and the thing is, there's a good chance that Saul may have specifically forbidden the use of pits in the land at that time, but he still allowed other forms of idolatry. I mean, his own daughter had teraphim in her house. Sure, sure. And so he could have simply outlawed one particular practice that would have been the most advantageous for him. And I think we talked about this a little bit in last week's episode where you know, if you're the only person with a direct line to the spirit world that's full of all of this knowledge, then you want to make sure nobody else has it. This mm-hmm. ensures that you have got the best intelligence available. And so the idea of cutting off communication through pits or whatever mean, this is really smart. And Saul tends to do what is really smart when it comes to ruling his kingdom as far as what we as human beings would consider wisdom and um, very efficient. So, verse 10. So, but Saul, oh, listen to this. Okay. No, this is a really funny conversation. It, it's a crazy conversation. It'll give you a headache. Uh, so, this verse in particular was the one where I just wanted to like stop and beat my head on the wall for a moment. And if I could have grabbed hold of Saul and just shook him, uh, you know, reached through history and done this, uh, I would have. But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. He's clueless. He swears by God that God will not be true to his word. Yeah, and we have the all capitals, so we've got Yahweh there. Exactly. That's the, that's the part that I'm like going, ugh. What? Yeah, I, I'm going to promise I'm... you God can't be trusted. I'm going to promise you by God uh... that God is a liar. I mean, th- this tells you how clueless thought, uh, he never gets it. He just never completely understands who God is or what God wants from someone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is why he can't be king. And, and I think this, this statement is so telling because you see it. I mean, he, yeah, he'd, he'd run all the necromancers and the mediums out of the land, but the minute he needs one, he goes and tracks one down, and then he tries to bring God into this transaction. I mean... <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
because outlawing the mediums and the necromancers and what have you, that wasn't even his decision. That wasn't his decree. Mm-hmm. God had already set that into place. And, and now he's saying, well, you know, we, we just won't pay attention to what, what God has to say. And what I say is more important than what God has said for this for his gland. I, I, it, it's not, it, 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 it's... Well, it's it's kind of funny because it's almost the the because I, I didn't quite read it the same way you did um, of saying that of him like implicating that God is a liar, but it's kind of it's almost got this attitude of like, come on, you don't really believe all the religious <laughs> right. zealotry or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Very very interesting whenever yeah. you think of it that way. There's there's a there was a an example I I'm, like I have it in my head, but I can't think of the exact thing. Um, and you're probably done with my examples anyway. Yeah, I don't care. How you bring it up? Makes my notes go further. Yeah. <laughs> I've been a little chatty this episode. Yeah, go, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, no, I can't think of it. So you continue. Oh, Sorry. okay. That's what I was trying to say. All right. Well, fine. Uh, no, it, it's just it, it's it's typical Saul, but I mean it's just put on such display here because I mean he's overstepping, he's forgetting his place. And he's thinking that he can do whatever he wants to do because he is the king. He, he keeps forgetting that the only reason why he's a king is because God's decreed it. Therefore, he should be the one who takes God's word most seriously. Well, is it, well, could it also be one of those things like, yeah, whatever I, I is this what, kind of what you're saying? Like, I'm the king, so whatever I say is basically whatever Yahweh says. Mm-hmm. Is he kind of taking that attitude? I, I really, I think, I think he does. I think he never understands that he doesn't get to dictate to God how God should enact his law, that God has made certain decrees. And, and because God's made these decrees and Saul doesn't seem to understand why God made these decrees, he doesn't get the right to reinterpret them. Right. And I do think that's one of the big things we see with David. David understands why the decrees are in place. He seems to get the heart behind them. So when he reinterprets, he reinterprets in a correct way. Sure. And Saul never gets there. Now, the other fun thing about this, as God li- lives, that's how he starts his, his oath right here. Mm-hmm. While he's trying to co- connect to the dead. I mean, the irony is just, it, it, it's so surface level and in your face. And it just shows you how clueless Saul is all around. I, he, he just doesn't even begin to understand what he's doing. Right. There, I mean, there is kind of a uh, there is kind of an aspect to that though, where it is kind of like he does understand what he's saying, because th- if it is, he's trying to connect with Samuel. He knows that Samuel's alive mm-hmm. somewhere. Right. Well, this is in, true in a certain way. It's kind of like you know, God's not the God of the dead; He's the God of the living. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's so it's it's very frustrating because it's like he intuitively. Dis- he intuitively displays that he knows more than he is acting on in the correct way. No, you, you got, okay, so you got my brain like trying to, as I'm working through how to contextualize this, because there are these people who, who get truth. They yeah. understand it completely in their heads. But then there's like this total disconnect. When it, when it comes to putting it into action. Yeah. 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 And they can have all the right answers for oh, everybody else. Like, I, you know, I know I should probably eat a little better. I, I can, <laughs> I can tell you, you know, 
very much about how food's metabolized, you know, what mm-hmm. all it takes, you know, just, you know, and not to, not to, you know, down on myself. I just, I know that I tend to. <laughs> I was just glad you didn't tell the story on me. <laughs> uh, you know, th- th- that's a tendency. I, I, I like my food. You know that as well as any, anybody who's listening to, to the podcast. <laughs> like the thing, what, what does Nathan talk about? He talks about the Bible and food and music. <laughs> yep. If it's anything other than that, maybe a movie here and there, but that's about Occasionally. it. Occasionally. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like there, there are certain things that I eat and I go, well, I know this is not great for me. And I try to do that in moderation, but you know, it's at the same time, you know, it's totally disconnected. Actually at living. this moment, I'm hungry, but I, you know. <laughs> well, and, and Saul had, had had such great experiences. I mean, this is the same guy who, who has prophesied both in very positive, joyous, celebratory moments when he was first anointed. Mm-hmm. And then whenever he's, as the SV put it, ranting or prophesying in his house. And so then, of course, then we've also got the prophecy before Samuel when he's laid out naked. Mm-hmm. He has mm-hmm. had some of the most intimate, radical encounters with the supernatural world of any human being. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think we forget that about him. And we, 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 sent, we tend to see him as the angry guy who threw a spear at David, or we see him as the king who, who visits the witch, but we don't really see him as the guy who had this kind of contact with God himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that puts a whole different spin on, on how you view his story. Yeah. Because he's not just some hapless victim. He's a guy with intimate knowledge. Oh. Uh, so it just it blows my mind when I, when I try to put it all together. Because I can look at an individual story and go, yeah, he's being an idiot. Mm-hmm. But when I put it all together, now there's somebody that I'm almost shocked that he had the audacity to do some of the things that he did. Mm-hmm. So anyway, moving on, verse 11, the woman says, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. So I have like so many questions and (laughs) because this next verse, I mean, just, I, how does she know who Samuel was? I'm sure Samuel wasn't the only Samuel and did she begin to connect it with, with Saul? Was the name what set it off? Did Saul believe that this woman had any authority over one of God's prophets, even when he was dead? Does she believe that she can have any authority over one of God's prophets who's dead? I, where in the world did they come up with this, this viewpoint that this was okay? Right. That they could. I, I, it just, the story gets more and more baffling the longer you think about it. I think if you just read through it real quick, it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of reading something out of a comic book or, you know, watching a TV show and, oh, that's weird. And then you move on. But when you really stop and think about it, now it becomes something that just, what's, (laughs) what were these people thinking? Right. So verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice and the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Now, okay, so the loud cry, this is where everybody says, not everybody, but a good deal of people say, oh, this shows that she didn't expect anything to happen. She really didn't expect any kind of spiritual manifestation. She was just some kind of charlatan taking people's money. 
And now that this Samuel has appeared. So now, now here's an interesting thing. <laughs> is did Saul say, bring me Samuel? And she was expecting just a Samuel that he knew. And then when she sees, oh, this, this Samuel. The Samuel. <laughs> that. <laughs> we called Samuel. We didn't expect this one to show up. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think one of the things that when you read that verse, I think it's very clear that she is scared that it's Saul in front of her, not Samuel. Right. She, she's not terrified of Saul, of the spirit. I mean, she deals with that every day if we believe that this can actually happen. Right. And, but the flesh and blood king, he can kill her. Mm-hmm. So I think whenever we say, oh, well, the, the loud cry shows that she didn't expect anything. We're, we're dealing with some interesting... I don't think that she expect, didn't expect anything. I think she... I, 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 you know, Because, of course, we don't get... We get the, we get the footnotes. We are the right. footnotes version of every story. I mean, there's... You know, I think it, it possible it was... You know, she didn't expect that Samuel, and that Samuel was like, uh, so what does Saul need? And <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, well, that's the thing. I mean, she's very much aware of what Samuel is doing as he arises mm-hmm. before... And, and, there, there's this really weird shift, and we're going to talk about this, where once Samuel starts talking, she disappears from the story. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. when Samuel st- stops talking, she reappears. And, and so there's this very interesting shift where it seems like Saul is communi- communicating directly with Samuel, mm-hmm. which would have been unusual. So anyway, but one of the things I wanted to look at before we got there were the three main ways of interpreting this, because there are three primary ways of interpreting the story. And this has been a debate that's been raging for literally centuries Mm -hmm. and actually for probably longer than that. But, uh, and I I don't want us to just kind of gloss past them because I have my way that I think is correct in reading it. Well, and and also I don't think we should gloss past it because it's been glossed over hundreds of thousands of times in our own childhood, probably, you know, just, oh, well, well, ghosts aren't real. Uh, uh, Yeah. Where do we get that idea? Spirits of the dead can't come back to earth unless we actually, you know, read read the Bible. Bible. Yeah. Well, okay. So that's the, that's the first argument. The first way people interpret it. This is not Samuel. This is a demon posing as Samuel that now to, to get there, you have to arrive with that presupposition. The dead do not communicate with the living. Right. And. Why do we say that? I mean, the scripture never says that. We're told not to talk to the dead. Mm-hmm. Now, nowhere and at no time have I ever been told not to talk to a doorpost. Okay? The reason why this has not been said is because doorpost will not talk back to me. You should hope not. I, right? Yeah, that's just the thing. If there's not the possibility of a return conversation, you typically don't have to tell someone don't talk to them. Right. You know, I mean, it, it, that's the fact that there is a command against it presupposes that, the, that there is the possibility that it can happen. So I think that whenever we say, hey, the dead can't talk to the living, we're reading with our either very modern bias or mm-hmm. our very uh, materialistic bi- bias or our very. Um, limited bias on what the the word of god actually says was it doug overmeyer i was listening to 
who was talking about that this idea that corpse-like deadness is is a like the idea of of non-responsiveness is a very modern idea that we just kind of in ancient times the idea was people are dead it's a separation they've gone somewhere else versus dead in our modern parlance is this is the person and brain activity has ceased and so i that sounds like a doug thing uh, i i can't 100 percent say for sure i don't remember where i heard that from it sounds like something doug would talk about because he <laughs> he talks a lot about how you know we're we're not just physical creatures we're physical and spiritual creatures mm-hmm. at the same time and, and one's not more important than the other necessarily mm-hmm. they are it's just how we're made and so well since you brought doug up i i should mention uh he's got some articles written on this i actually drew some information from doug's website because I mean, he did a lot of the footwork and saved me a lot of time <laughs> and so uh you know anytime you want to talk about anything spiritually related uh, as it occurs in this world and life today yeah, you, you need to check out crc.com um, that they're online or just Google Doug Overmeyer. Yeah, uh, you're going to find him. Uh, he, he has probably the best resources uh, out there for yeah. people who want to ask these sorts of questions. And, and he's very responsive to questions. So you can always write him and and talk to him about stuff. And usually he does respond. And yeah, um, and, we'll, and we'll throw his stuff in the show notes. Too. Yeah. So and because this is a question. Uh, can the dead speak to the living? Now, I'm going to get show some of my cards because I really do. I believe they can. And uh, it's so funny because when I started studying for this, I had like, I don't know, five or six different groups on Facebook I was in, people talking about this. No connection as far as like to... To knowing what you were studying. Yeah, absolutely. No reference to the book of Samuel. Just can Christians actually... Can they see ghosts? Can they talk to to the dead? Um, what do I do about somebody who's come back from the dead and feeling like they're in their house or what have you? Mm. Um, I, I do believe this can happen, and a lot of times Christians think, "Oh, well, that's we're taught. Oh, well, those are demons posing as as people we love." The Bible doesn't teach that either. Demons are demons. The dead are the dead. Right. There, there's two different things there. So um, I'm not going to go into how to deal with, I mean, because some people have had problems with this and they, they want help in how to deal with what do I do with the, the, the figure walking through my house or what have you. Go to Doug's website. Doug is the one who is very yeah. prepared yeah. for that. So um, anyway, so that's, that's, that's the first way of translating it that basically this isn't samuel this is this is a demon Ver- the second way i started to say verse two but no the second way in which to translate this is this is samuel but this is a special exception well if this is a special exception and it's never happened before and it hasn't happened since why are we told not to do it right I, um verse three uh, sorry, i'm back i'm stuck on the verses the third way is that Talking to the dead was just actually part of everyday ancient Near Eastern life. And so it was part of the culture. Which would make sense with ancestor worship. Absolutely. It, 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 it absolutely does. And with ancestor worship, the idea that the, the ancestors are close enough by that you can still contact them, you can still get information from them. This is not unheard of in the Bible. And right. as Isaiah talks about... Um, about this some too. And so we're going to talk 
we're just going to keep going forward because there's still more and more evidence that this is not a one-time event. Matter of fact, the Septuagint tells us, and this is in First uh, Chronicles 10.13, they add a line that the Masoretic does not have. And it's talking about when this incident recorded in Samuel, being retold in Chronicles, it says, and the prophet answered him, uh, answered, uh, yeah, him, uh, talking about Saul. Mm-hmm. So the Septuagint specifically says that the prophet answers Saul. Right. Sirach, which was written around 200, 175 BC, somewhere in there, praises Samuel for continuing to prophesy even in death. So part of the Jewish tradition is that this was Samuel. Hmm. And we really don't see any doubts about the efficacy of of talking to the dead until about 600 AD or CE. even with the doubts about whether a person, an ordinary person, could do this, First Samuel was still being read literally. There were a lot of debates and discussion in, among the early church fathers. Augustine changed his mind back and forth throughout his entire time. Uh, not really surprised to see that from him. <laughs> Say about this and a great many things, but... Moving on. <laughs> yeah. So he did finally land on that a literal reading was the correct way. So points to him on that one. Um, arguments for it being a demon were presented by Cyril, and uh, and it's centered on verse 13, which I believe verse 13 was where she cried out. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. I do have got written here. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a god coming up out of the earth. So we're going to leave Cyril behind, but this is the verse that he's using to say that it's a demon. Right. Now, was Cyril, was he, uh, where was he from? Was he a native Greek speaker? You would ask me that. Well, I'm curious because <laughs> a daemon in Greek was a god. Yeah, it wasn't or a guiding like, spirit, yeah. Well, yeah, it, well, or a regional territorial mm-hmm. god. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the same idea that we have of, like, you know, just little annoying critters that fling things off your shelves and shake your curtains. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the gremlins and poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Interesting enough, gremlin is a very new word, I realize. I didn't know that until... No, I didn't. That's I thought it was thing. a car. Anyway. Um, like, etymolo- etymologically speaking, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's been around for a, a little while, but apparently it's... Fairly new, uh, but that's beside the point. Uh, I'll try to figure out where I put found that and put it in the show notes. Yeah, or title store something. Anyway, go ahead, continue. But um, but yeah, so so it, yeah, like I said, it wouldn't have just been like this little creature that runs around impersonating relatives and th- you know just mm-hmm. annoying people and haunting haunting houses and all that. Right. It would it would actually be a greater character thus this god verse would make a little more sense if that's uh-huh. what he was using to identify it as a demon as opposed to a ghost yeah i would have to I mean, we're talking early church fathers and i just kind of brush past them because that's not really my thing yeah i mean that's not really our area of emphasis i mean yeah but, I'm gonna but have i know to... that i know that a good number of them spoke latin but not but not greek, greek. Um, which is why my cat's named augustine because he doesn't read greek so it's funny so <laughs> And he's a little cross-eyed. That has nothing to do with the Gaston. Uh, so anyway, but yeah, it, uh, that would be a good thing to know. I, I didn't go into it too deep. Uh, I think it's good to look at what the early church fathers say because they, they, you know, they're within a 
few hundred years a lot yeah, of they're, times. Yeah, they're a lot closer to the original writers. They're in, more in the culture. Yeah, and so and I've been listening to um, another podcast called Lord of the Spirits, and it's two um, Orthodox priests mm-hmm. discussing this kind of stuff. And it's really interesting because we recorded our first episode over the Witch of Endor Last week, uh, last time we recorded, I got in my car, listened to their latest podcast on the way home, and they were referencing some of the same stuff we had just recorded the day before mm-hmm. uh, or that day. It's and always fun whenever I, whenever you do that. You're like, yes, it's like <laughs> I'm not out in left field. Uh, but I mean, very interesting because they actually were talking about the Witch of Endor, and I did not expect that. But um, Cyril did uh, base that on this verse where um, you know Saul asks her, says, you know, what do you see? Which Okay, we expect that, and um, but what's not expected is who is he to tell her who to be afraid of and who not to be afraid of? Well, it, okay, so you mentioned earlier the, um, you know, she seemed more afraid of Saul than mm-hmm. anything, and to me, I kind of read that as like, you know, she's like pretending to freak, pretending to freak out because, oh my gosh, it's Saul, oh, I've been <laughs> caught, Woo. and he's uh, like, drop the act. Do your job. Get this done. <laughs> well, but I mean, this, I think if you're going to go for this is not the real thing. This verse makes more sense than her loud cry verse earlier. That, you know, okay, Saul's having to calm her down a little bit. She seems a little distraught. Now, there might be a reason for her to be distraught, and we'll get into that. But um, the ESV here, I, this is, bless their hearts. They translate it, I see a God coming up out of the earth. So it actually says Elohim Reiti, which um, that's the Hebrew. So Elohim, I think everybody, if you listen to us for any point in time, you know that this can be plural or this can be singular based on the context. So um, if we go to the Septuagint, which the Septuagint is so often necessary with Samuel to understand what's going on because Mm -hmm. Samuel's a crazy book, uh, it actually has it in the plural in the Greek, as gods. Okay. So there, it's, it's plural. Um, only co- the only way we can really tell is context. Now, as far as like cultural context, we, we have a wholly unfamiliar context. But um, we need to remember a few things. So if you go back, just a quick little recap, Elohim, uh, like the way Heiser puts it, it's, stati- it's an address, um, not status. So right. This is somebody or something from the spiritual realm. Yeah. And, and the, the way, I mean, and not to just totally just rehash everything Heiser says, but the, the way that it was clearest to me, the way he said it, you said it's, it's an address, and you, but you mean address as in a physical location, not as a way to address someone. Right. Um, but it's, you know, when he was explaining it, you know, when we think of the English word God, Mm-hmm. G-O-D, mm-hmm. we automatically, if we've been raised in a Christian environment, we think Yahweh. We think of the right. God of, the, the God of uh, you know, Isaac and mm-hmm. <laughs> Jacob mm-hmm. and all those cats. Um, but when you use the word Elohim, or what we would translate as God or gods, it simply means someone who can, who is now in the realm of the spirits right. and not in the physical world. That's what it means. And, or that's what it can mean. You can mm-hmm. interpret it that way. So it could be anyone from Yahweh to his angels mm-hmm. to uh, 
false gods to demonic spirits to the disembodied dead. Yeah, and Heiser's work is great for that, and you can you can see so much of where he goes into it a lot with Unseen Realm, mm-hmm. and he breaks down all the different places it's used. We're we're not just people making this up, and of course he'll tell you in his work he's not making it up. He's basically brought together all these the work of a bunch of other mm-hmm. experts who who've come before, and said here's the case. Yeah, and, and he actually links back to a lot of them on his website. So definitely check that out. NakedBible.com is that the website? Yeah, I've, or yeah. DRMSH.com. Either one will get you there. Um, yeah, great resource, and basically everything he does is cited. Like great footnotes, just you know, ad nauseum. I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he, yeah, he's definitely done his footwork. And so, whenever we talk about Elohim, trying to figure out which way should it be used, one of the things we do is we look at the the um, the verbs around it. Are the verbs because in the Hebrew, your verbs are plural or, or singular, mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. And so, in this time, we have a a verb. That is plural. So the noun's plural. The, I mean, so if the verb's plural, the noun it's referring to has to be plural too. So it's she sees God's plural mm-hmm. coming out of the ground. And so now Gregory of Nyssa actually argued that this makes it more likely that this is a demon imposter because a demon would be a spiritual being and so a demon would, could be an Elohim. And he, um, he bases that on Psalms. 96.5, if you're reading from an English translation, if you're reading from a Septuagint translation, when I say English, I like an ESV, uh, typical Protestant. If you're reading from the Septuagint, it's going to be 95.5. They have different numbering on their Psalms. But it's in the, the ESV is going to say, for all the gods, the peoples are worthless idols. So for all the gods, plural, Elohim, worthless idols. The Septuagint says, for all the gods of the people are demons. So this is where he, he pulls that, okay? So if this, she's calling up gods. Uh, she, he's yeah. their gods of the people, so they've got to be demons. Now, the, the Masoretic there just says that all the gods of the people are worthless. So they the doesn't have that demons added to it uh, like the Greek does. Gotcha. So, okay. Now, <laughs> here we go. Remember back with Hofner, we talked about how there was these events where multiple demons, the multiple uh, people, the the hordes of hell rose up to the to the surface level of the of the pits, mm-hmm. and that it wasn't just one. Uh, in, in the Odyssey, it says that all the spirits of Hades rushed to the pit, and it, it was only after they drank the sacrificial blood and the honeyed milk that individual spirits could be recognized, and that those spirits could recognize the people in front of them. And so, when you look at the the verbs in Samuel, where you have those plural verbs, and they are plural, it makes the the nouns plural, like I was saying earlier. Your context demands that this has to be more than one, but it also fits with the cultural context. So you have the linguistic context and the the cultural. Um, The only fly in the ointment is what Saul says, and he because in verse fifteen a he says, "Or what is his appearance?" And Saul's asking about a single entity. Sure, but is that because he only expects one? 
is this something new to Saul? He doesn't understand that there would be multiple. I mean, that's a possibility. So you're sa- you're <laughs> saying that Saul understood the the context and knew that it was just one. I mean, because if it wasn't for him knowing the context, and she said, "I see gods coming up from the ground," at that point. I think Saul should be a little scared. <laughs> you would think so, right? Instead of instead of replying, well, what does he look like? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think t- Saul may have known enough to to go. He's with them. He's somewhere in that crowd, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think that this is such a foreign concept to him because talking to the dead was so normal, right? And and the, that's like I said, that's the only fly in the ointment to the idea that the Elohim should be translated in the in the plural form. It, 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 and it's the only way that you can really get that it's a demon that it would be um, multiple demons coming up out of the earth because out of the Odyssey, you know, you're talking about what does what do these words mean? And mm. you know, are we talking about the souls of the dead? Are we talking talking about demons? But then you've got to bring in the Psalms. Whereas if you just do a straight reading. You've got Samuel, the, the writer of Samuel saying, Samuel shows up. <laughs> there, uh, it fits with the cultural condition where the souls of the dead do come up together. Mm-hmm. But then he, he also turns this not just into an acceptance or celebration of this event. He actually starts to create a polemic against the, the powers of this woman to summon the dead. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know the process and you don't know what's been written about it in other cultures and how it's worked out, you don't understand how God is still showing, <laughs> showing that he's greater. Mm-hmm. And it, it's such a beautiful in-your-face moment that gets lost for those of us who don't know the context. And, and I, I I'm so happy that we're going to be able to get to go into that, but we'll finish up uh, verse 15. And it says, and she said, it's an old man coming up and he, uh, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. She, she recognizes. Real quick though, (laughs) if Saul, if, if Saul's expecting, basically you're saying if Saul is just expecting one and ignores that there, she says multiple. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not clarifying what's actually going on, that it is just to refer and be translated singular as in one person. Then what you have is you have a very disconnected conversation where they're not even talking to each other. Yeah. They're just right Right. And which, if you want to say, okay, they're coming out from their their own respective worldviews, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, because how many times have... you or I had the conversation with someone where we just totally talk by each other because mm-hmm. you don't share the, mm-hmm. the worldview, mm-hmm. which ideally is what should happen because she should be from a completely different world than Saul. I mean, he's of the covenant community. He's the king of Israel. She is somebody who's supposed to be cast out. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not what's happening here, and we're having this 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 event where the two of people who should never ever be in the same room together are in the same room together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's one of the things that um, we, we have to ask, why is Saul able to just go, okay, so there's other big deal. Tell me about the one guy I'm looking for. Right. Right. And so, and, and she immediately seems to get back on track and she seems to understand there is this guy. I see that's got to be the one. She distinguishes him from the others that are around. 
he's an old man. He's wrapped in a robe. Yeah. And- well, and the thing is, it's not necessarily, um, you know, now we would think, well, it's kind of a given that's going to be an old person. Back then, not so much. <laughs> right. Right. You live past 40. You were doing good. Uh, so anyway, go ahead with no, what you're saying. I, 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 I just wanted to. I had thought in. about that. But I, she's shocked. And the reasons why she's shocked is because she didn't do the ritual. She, she didn't get a chance to even do the ritual. She didn't put anything in the pit. It, it never says anything about that. Right. Uh, do you think Samuel's going to drink blood poured out in a sacrifice into a pit? Right. He's not even going to touch the honeyed milk. And the fact that not only is he coming up out of the ground, he's coming up and he's fully recognizable without partaking in any of the things that the spirits need to nourish themselves enough in this realm to manifest. Interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, that's what I love about it. And this is the reason why it's got to be an act of God. It's not just her talking to the dead. This is a profound sign of God's power, both in life and in death. Mm-hmm. And she would have been completely blown away with this because she knew I haven't done it right. I mean, all you got to do is watch one scary movie about somebody trying to do a spell where it gets interrupted. They lose their minds. Okay. The world understands this better than people in the church do. Yep. <laughs> you yep. Know? They, they get what's happening. And it's, well, <laughs> it's the lack of imagination. It's because mm-hmm. we have to say it. it they're, Christians who have to believe it doesn't exist because they can't believe in God, a God that's greater than that. Well, I, I mean, are... that's just, a, I know that sounds harsh, but that's kind of where it is. So They've go, already yeah. made up their minds that the dead do not speak to the living. Mm-hmm. They, they, they've, they've decided that, and where, they've de- you know, where did they get that idea? They got that from science. They got that from the Enlightenment. Right. They, they did not get that from the Bible because the Bible never once says that. In, ma- in fact, what the Bible says is everyone's going to be talking to the dead at some point. The dead are all going to be raised. Mm-hmm. And so the Bible makes these, these very bold proclamations about death not being the end. We, we don't just disappear into the abyss and the great void when we die. We're still very real. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we that lack of imagination you were speaking of, we can't imagine what it must be like to still exist someplace other than right here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Bible says right here is not really all that much. And so we, we have to be able to, to take ourselves outside of this very materialistic worldview where everything begins and ends with what I can touch, see, smell, hear, taste, mm-hmm. and recognize that God's truth is bigger. And until we can get there, we're never going to be able to do more than a surface level of reading of the Bible. Yep. So I'll stop preaching now. So, well, no, I think that was, that was a much better episode than I thought it was going to be because <laughs> we didn't, uh, don't take that the wrong way. A lot of times, uh, no, a lot of times when you listen to people. We te- had a false start. <laughs> well, no, we, we, well, a lot of times whenever you know, because you kind of told me going in, you're like, we've got a lot of notes for this small section. And a lot of times whenever I listen to stuff and they're like, well, we've got a lot of notes over three verses. It's like, oh, no. But I thought I, I, there was a lot of good stuff there. So I, I well, really. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's fascinating. And I think that's one of the things that I, I can honestly say it fascinates me. 
And so I hope that, you know, maybe I can share some of that with other people because I I love finding out those little bits of of the history and the culture. Now it's not, it's still a mystery, but it's a better mystery. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't know why God made the world and the universe to operate the way he, he did, but the fact that he's still in control of it and, you know, this this witch or this medium, this necromancer of Endor mm-hmm. didn't somehow find, you know, a, a back door into his networking system and hack into, you know, <laughs> he, he, he's like, I see what you're trying to do. This is what you want? Very well, have it. Right. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, he, he, it's such a dad move, and you know, you, you have to love those sort of things. So, anyway. But. Awesome. Well, sounds good. Well, hey, everyone, hope, hopefully everyone out there listening really enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, and if you did, let us know. If you didn't, also, feel free to let us know. Um, <laughs> Raven Creek SC on all the social media, ravencreeksc.com is where you can find basically everything we're affiliated with, whether we want to be anymore or not. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, Speaking of which. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I don't know. I think it's the holidays and uh, just full of full of yummy food. I'm getting, like, quippy. That's I don't one know word why. for what you're full of. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, everyone, uh, join us on, uh, on the internet, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.